Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Persist podcast. I am so excited to be joined today by Long Beach City Council Member Mary Zendejas. Council Member, welcome to the show. Thank you very, very much. I'm very happy to be here with you, Denise. Thank you so much for the invitation. Absolutely. Thank you for saying yes. I know we had some great conversation on Instagram and our private messages and talked about our mutual admiration and respect uh, for each other. And so this is a real treat to have you on the show today. As a jumping off point, please tell us a bit about yourself and what inspired your path into politics. Well, thank you very much. And yes, a mutual respect is absolutely key here. I um, admire you and respect all the work that you do, um, not only um, at UC Riverside, but also at um, in Redland. So thank you for all you do there as well. Um, but yes, I want to say that I never thought I'd be going into politics. Um, I was born in Mexico, uh, Michoacan, Mexico, to be exact. I My parents immigrated to the United States when, when I was about probably three, no, five years old. Um, and that was in in hopes of getting and finding better health care for myself. See, at the age of eight months old, I contracted polio. And um, my parents did everything they could to make sure that they took me to all the best hospitals in Mexico that they could possibly need to. And, um, you know, to get as much therapy as possible. But nothing compared to the healthcare that would be available to me here in the United States. So I'm very happy that they did make that move. And um, I feel that because of that, they not only gave me a better chance of better healthcare, but they also gave me a chance to have a quote unquote normal life here in the United States where I was able to go to school, be the first one in my family of nine to actually graduate from high school and be accepted into college and graduate from college. I've always been a, a servant at heart ever since I was young. Um, but, I, you know, I remember being part of the community service club in high school and really excited for planting trees and doing um, trash pickups and beautifying our school and our in our neighborhoods. I thought that was so exciting for me. I also really, really loved helping out others. Uh, in high school, I would organize Naleo workshops um, and that was to help individuals who wanted to apply to be U.S. citizens um, go through the application process and help them get started on the process to become um, U.S. citizens. And um, because of that, I was inspired myself. And as soon as I could run an application myself and I turned 18, I actually did it and became a U.S. citizen myself. So. Um, I've been always very, very committed to helping out my community, always very passionate about affordable housing and helping those with um, low income, trying to get as many resources as possible to them. Um, I'm also a big fan of education. So anywhere I can help someone, mentor someone to uh, make sure that they have everything they need so that they can um, go through higher education. That's always um, something that that draws me. So really happy with that. 
I've always been very involved in the community. So at no time did I ever think that it would translate into me one day being a councilwoman and going into politics. As a matter of fact, it was quite the contrary. Um, my friends and family would tell me, you know, oh, you should run for office. You would be so great, you know. Some of my friends would tease me and say, hey, Mayor Sunday has, you know, because they'd see me everywhere throughout the city. And I would tell my friends and family, no, no, politics is not for me. Um, I, I'll leave that to, to someone with thicker skin, right? Um, because just, you know, the negativity that comes with, you know, with politics was something I wasn't really, was not willing to risk you know, getting into. But then I realized that if I really wanted my voice heard, I needed to make sure that I that I was more than just a community member. And I needed to at least try and run for office because that's where real change was going to take place. Um, especially after a, a time when I was advocating for a certain position to a certain item and I was pleading before the city council and, um, and, and just hoping that they would understand my point and that they would vote the way that I needed them to vote. And it was really, really, you know, moving to me when I came home from that meeting after speaking that that I would actually decide to run for office because I was so nervous about them not seeing my point that I say, wait a minute, I could be much more effective on that side of the dais than I am on this side of the dais. And that's what really inspired me to run for office. And when I said, if I do this, I'm gonna do this all the way. So, and here we are today. Here we are today. That's an incredible story. Thank you so much for sharing that. I love stories where people go from activist to policymaker. I think we, we've seen a lot of that over the years at the Persist Conference, and it's always incredibly inspiring. Also inspiring, you're part of a historic first. You are the first Latina wheelchair user to be elected to office in the nation. Uh, which is absolutely amazing. I'm curious to hear more about what this has meant to you, to the city of Long Beach and beyond. Thank you very much for that. Yes, this is really exciting. When I was running for office, I didn't realize that this is what we would be doing, that we would be making history. But what I did know is that my fellow disability advocates and disability community members needed this win. And it was it was more for, for them than it was for me. And that's where I got my strength from every day that I felt like, oh my God, I'm exhausted. One more day of campaigning. Here we go, you know? And then I would think of them and say, oh, yep. One more day of campaigning. Let's do this, you know, because um, I, I had a lot that was writing on it, you know, and and just to be that person for the disability community. I felt a great deal of responsibility go through with it and not only go through with it, but actually win because it was supposed to be a win, not only for me, well, not even for me, it was for the disability community so that others can be inspired that if they even once thought that they would want to run for office, that they took that time to actually dive into that possibility. 
Absolutely. I love talking to people who have been part of Historic First because you're absolutely right. It's really, a, it's not about you. It's about the community that's so much larger than you. And, and But kudos to you for pushing through because as you alluded to, campaigning is really hard. It's rigorous. It's draining. As you talked about before, you need a thick skin to be involved in politics. There's a lot of negativity. And so just congratulations and thank you. Thank you for not giving up and for paving the way. Um, this is huge. You know, for for the nation at this point. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. I do think it's huge. Um, I one of the things that I love is being involved with women, especially with disabilities. And I'm part of an organization called Miss Wheelchair California. And we fall under an organization because I was Miss Wheelchair California 2012, another organization that I just love giving myself to. But I also am part of Miss Wheelchair America, which is a national organization. And I just presented at their competition uh, a couple weeks ago. And, you know, just being able to say, yes, we can do this. And if you had any incline of, of maybe running for office, do it, do it. I, you know, it doesn't matter if, well, of course it matters, right? You want to win, but even if you don't win and you do it, the experience is definitely worth it. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. It was really inspiring for me to read a bit more about your background and your bio and all the amazing work you've done in different segments of the disability community. Um, You're the founder of Professional Abilities Association of America, an organization created for working professionals with disabilities by working professionals with disabilities, focusing on inclusion in the workforce. Please tell us a bit more about this. See, when I was, when I was Looking for jobs, it was very, very difficult as a person with a disability because I felt that not only did I have my disability um, as a strike against me, but I also was a Latina and I also was a woman. And so therefore I had three very strong strikes against me, right? Um, But I had to learn to um, get those at and really pivot from that feeling and really empower myself with those saying, I am a Latina, I am a woman, and I am disabled, and those are my super strengths. And, um, you know, once I started seeing myself like that, I felt that other people started seeing me that way as well. So I wanted to create a space where we can all Um, come together and share because it's very different when you're in a work environment with people who don't have a disability compared to where you're in a work environment with people who do have disabilities. And I wanted us to have a safe space where we can talk about things, where we could say, oh my God, you know, just because I'm in a wheelchair doesn't mean I can't you know, lead this project? Why would they think that? But to be able to provide that safe space to have those conversations and empower people to say, well, this is how you address when people do say that, you know, out in the workplace and just, you know, be a support system for each other. And it was just something that that was born because I I want I wanted to find a space like that and there was no space like that 
So if there isn't, you have to create it yourself. And so I have met some amazing, amazing people through this organization. And it keeps going every day, slowly but surely. And I'm just so very proud to be able to provide a space like this. That's incredible work. And I just wanted to take this opportunity to give a shout out to actually someone who works for us in the UCR Women's Resource Center. She's also a wheelchair user and she recently created a disability network on the UCR campus for faculty and staff. Um, so we're really lucky to have that resource and, and thank you to you for your advocacy um, of inclusion in the workplace. That's such an important issue. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. And I'd love for you to connect me with her because, you know, we need to all know each other. I have a friend who always says um, to when he sees someone in a wheelchair, he's like, hey, there's your friend. And I'm like, not everyone in a wheelchair is my friend, but oh, yeah, I do know them. (laughs) But but it should be. Everyone should be friends. I would love to connect you with her. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think you actually might have met before at a conference mm-hmm. because you were, you're everywhere. And so people know of you and you're amazing. <laughs> we'll definitely connect you. I want to shift gears a bit and talk about your work in Long Beach and yes. the fact that Long Beach has been in the news so much during this pandemic. Every time I turn on the news, I'm seeing Long Beach. Um, most recently this week, your city hosted President Biden and Governor Newsom at the Stop the Recall rally. Prior to this, Long Beach was in the news for hosting over 1,500 migrant children at the convention center. You also have been leaders in the fight against COVID-19. Please talk to us about what this this time period of governing in Long Beach has been like for you? I think that one of the things that is helping us tremendously is that we have a brilliant mayor, uh, a mayor that's very inclusive, a mayor that's very open and thinks outside of the box. And I think that because of that, he has really put Long Beach on, you know, on the map, I want to say nationwide. It was such an incredible, incredible time to be able to host our president of the United States. You know, just here a couple of days ago, I'm still on a high from that. I'm like, I, I was sitting a, a couple of feet away from our president, you know, so it was just such an electrifying night for here for especially the democrats here in long beach it was just such an amazing night and and to have governor newsom here and he just you know he was just energized the whole crowd and it was just amazing i mean our whole city turned uh, red, white, and blue that night. And it was just, I think we'll be on a high from that for a very long time. But um, yes, and another thing, you know, hosting the children um, at our convention center was something that when the mayor approached me personally um, to hear my thoughts uh, on this, um, and I was like, absolutely, absolutely. We need to make sure that we have a safe space for these children. And if anybody can do that the right way, it's Long Beach. So um, I was very happy 
for that outcome, I was able to visit with the children. First, they were able to give us a tour the, the first day that they opened up. But then later on, I was able to visit with the children and was able to see how they were doing, see how they were treated, see what things were being provided for them. And it was just so, such heartwarming time to be able to to talk to them and ask them how they were doing and especially I will always remember that um, a lot of the there were a lot of girls the majority of them were girls so when I was talking to them um, I said hola como están you know like hi how are you guys doing and you know some of them were very vocal like oh good gracias bien bien gracias and I'm like, okay, that's great. And then I'll always remember this little girl in the middle of the whole of of the whole group. And she just, you know, slightly looked up and and smiled. And she's like, like she gave me the thumbs up. And I was like, oh, my heart was so touched by that. Just because, you know, you know, you could just imagine what these young girls have been through. Um, at such young age and it was heartbreaking and to see them there and I know that this sounds funny but um, when I went there and my friends were asking me you know how were how were they you know uh, did they seem okay and I'm like yes they did one of the things that I was very happy about was that they were clean and it just you know to some people it probably does they can't comprehend how important it is for for um for these children to be clean because I don't know that that was the case in the past where they were you know um where they smelled good where they were showered and bathed and had nice clothes to wear and that they were they were okay mentally you know I mean of course they were going through a lot they were separated from family but we did the best that we could to be able to to really provide a safe haven and I hope that when they, you know, remember Long Beach, that they remember how well we treated them and how much our community embraced them. I mean, there were donations from everywhere. And, um, you know, just to provide books and blankets and pillows and, and little stuff and big stuff to them. So it was just a, a great community effort. And as far as COVID, I think that, you know, the unfortunate fact that our mayor lost both his parents to COVID at the very beginning really, really, really made us as a city act as quickly and swiftly as we could to try to, um, and, and first of all, uh, make sure that everybody was getting tested. Um, secondly, we needed to make sure that you know, once the vaccines were out, that everybody got vaccinated, you know, one of that's one of the things that we're very proud of, that we have very high percentage of people being vaccinated in Long Beach. And I every time I go out to an event or something, I always say it's because of you, my residents that have been vaccinated, that we're able to be in gatherings again. And, you know, we really got to continue that and that trend and make sure that we educate everyone on the importance of being vaccinated and the importance of being able to return, quote unquote, I don't even know if return to normal is going to be the correct language to use because I don't know what normal is going to be anymore. 
but yes, I'm very, very glad that that we move forward with that and that, um, you know, we're still doing a lot. Yeah, it sounds like it. You all are doing amazing work. Thank you for sharing those powerful stories. Councilwoman, I'm curious to know, what is the accomplishment you're most proud of thus far during your time on the council? I've been on the council, or I had been on the council for about three and a half months right before COVID hit. Wow. So most of my accomplishments are going to be during COVID <laughs> that I feel, you know, and COVID related. But one of the things that, uh, uh, there's a couple of things that I'm very proud of that we were able to do. And one of the things that I am most proud of is, or one of the couple things that I'm most proud of is what, when COVID hit, everything shut down, um, including our hotels and, um, and our restaurants, right? So one of the things that I worked really hard with was with our, with our hotels and our unions to make sure that when hotels were open again, that we had an ordinance that would allow for those workers to that had lost their job to be the first ones offered their job back um, before. And they could take them or not take them. That That's OK. But when jobs came back and were available again, that they be the first to um, to be offered those jobs. And so we did adopt that that ordinance. And I was so happy and so pleased that not only did it work here in Long Beach, but it was being implemented nationwide throughout different states. So that's something that's very, very, um, something very proud uh, moment of mine. So very happy with that. Um, talking about the same things, um, we actually, you know, about the hero pay and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Um, yeah. Well, there's a story behind the hero pay. Uh, my have I have two sister-in-laws who work at grocery stores, and one of my sister-in-laws at the beginning of COVID, and because she's just such a hard worker, got COVID, brought it home to her husband, my brother, and gave it to all four of their daughters. And they lived in the back house, and my mama, who is 80, lived in the front house. So you can imagine how scary of a time that was. And we couldn't visit anybody at that time, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so it was really, really frightening, very scary. Thank God they were able to get through it, all of them. Only one of them had to go to the hospital, which was good. And they were there for a very short period of time. But it really, really, really hit home. And I, it made me think about all those other um, grocery store workers that were putting their lives at risk so that we could have the things that we needed from our grocery stores because the grocery stores were the ones that really, really were able to bring in record, record number profits because of this pandemic, because the restaurants were closed, everything was closed. So you would get everything at the grocery stores. But the workers did not have the luxury of saying, you know what, today I'm going to work from home because, you know, I just don't feel good or I don't want to be exposed to COVID. I'm going to work from home. He didn't have that luxury. Mm -hmm. um, so that's where um, Hero Pay, that's why Hero Pay was born, to be able to protect those workers. And even though it was only for a little bit, it was only a three month, a three month a program. 
And um, it, as a city, we did get sued. We got sued as a city, and it was it was nerve wracking um, because they were saying that we as a city were overreaching. Mm -hmm. And what our point was that the grocery stores had already done this before, but when it really hit, like around December. Um, January, that's when we needed to do it again, because that's when the numbers just skyrocketed up. And so so when they sued us, it was nerve-wracking um, because, you know, first of all, you don't want your city to be sued. And um, secondly, you don't want to be on the uh, museum of a suit, right? Mm -hmm. um, but luckily, um, the suit did not go through. And um, they felt that we were doing the correct, the judges felt that they, we were doing the correct thing and, that, and for the best interest of the workers. But that was a bold move on our part. And we really needed to make sure that we um, continued to move that way. And another thing was our um, Latino health equity. Latinos were hurt very, very, very much during this, um, during this, COVID time. And we didn't have a lot of educational resources. And we, we have a big popularity uh, or population of hard to reach individuals, people that don't listen to um, or don't have access to like a cell phone and can't look up stuff online or that can't or that can't do things, you know, um, on a tablet. So we really needed to make sure that we were doing, making sure that they were getting all the information they needed during this time. So um, I created a task force and um, we've been working on a, the health equity, Latino health equity, um, not only to help us through COVID, but also after we, you know, after and recovering, the recovering part of COVID. That is fantastic. Um, thank you for all of that. I'm curious to know what's what's next for you. You sort of alluded to beyond the pandemic and, and this work. What are some of the bigger goals and projects you have on the horizon coming up? So one of the things that I'm very passionate about is youth programs in my district. I think that youth are our future and we really do need to invest in them. And also um, I have a very unique district where we have a lot of crime. And so I feel that um, in order to, to prevent crime, we really need to invest in our youth and really create other opportunities for them. So I'm working, I'm working with our city staff to be able to bring about crime prevention uh, plans so that we can address, um, you know, our those crimes that are being committed in our in our district, but also empower our youth to be able to take another road and and not have to end up in that path just because their older brother is part of that path or their um, their cousins or their friend older friends and stuff like that. So I really think that that that's important. Um, also, right now, I know I talk a lot about COVID, but that's all I know right now. Mm -hmm. um, so part of my thing is that I want to make sure that we are working together with our small businesses and trying to help them through this recovery time to be able to not only have them be successful, 
but also for them to thrive. And that's my main goal is to make sure that they thrive because if they thrive, we thrive as a city. And also, you know, we have such amazing, amazing not nonprofit organizations, our community-based organizations are what keep us together. I feel like they're the glue of our city and they provide so many wonderful resources and services. And to me, it's highlighting those, um, those organizations so that they can continue doing their work and so we can continue a partnership. So there's so many, so many things, as you know, Mm -hmm. um, that you do as a councilwoman. So it's very hard for me to pinpoint because I'm passionate about a lot of things. But if I could say one of the things that I'm most passionate is definitely focusing on our youth and our small businesses. Yeah, that's incredible. Thank you so much um, for all of that. I like to end the show with the same question and I'm excited to hear your answer. If you could give one piece of advice to our listeners, especially college students thinking about running for office or getting involved in the political arena, what would that be? Thank you. Um, one of the things that I would say is go for it. Go for it. Say yes. I know that there's a movie out there that um, I think it's called Yes or Say Yes, not something like that. But I feel that it's very true that if you say yes to opportunities that come your way, your world is going to just explode with, with even more opportunities and more. And just give into your passion. If, it, if you like politics, if, you know, just dive in into learning about them, into getting, you know, getting yourself acquainted with politics. Make sure that you, you know, reach out to your own um, representatives at all levels so that you can really understand what it is to, um, to get at, for you guys to start developing relationships which relationships is key in politics. It, get to know everyone and support people. I think that that's why I won, even though it was never part of my plan, but I would go to everybody's event. If they were a council person or the mayor and they invited me, I would be there to support their event because I wanted to be there and wanted to be part of the community. And never, never in my wildest dreams at that time that I think that I'd be a councilwoman. So um, I just really think it's, it's great to just follow your dreams and really build on relationships. And if you have mentors, please, please reach out to your mentors. Mentors are so important, especially when you're in college, as young adults are coming out of college. You just, mentors are key. That is such great advice. Long Beach City Councilwoman Mary Zendejas, thank you so much for your service, for your advocacy, for your leadership, and for being a trailblazer. It's been such a pleasure to talk with you today. Pleasure has been all mine. Thank you so much, Denise. The Persist Podcast is hosted by me, Denise Davis, Director of the UCR Women's Resource Center, and is produced by Rosa Tejeda and the staff in the UCR Women's Resource Center. Check out our Instagram pages for links to more episodes at UCRWRC and 
at UCR Persist. If you'd like to sign up for our newsletter, please email us at wrc at ucr.edu. We hope that this podcast inspires you and those around you to get involved in the political arena because we know that who is at the table absolutely matters. Finally, if you have any ideas for who a future guest should be on the podcast, feel free to reach out and let us know. 